0: chapter two of the real oscar wilde by robert sherard this librivox recording is in the public domain lord alfred douglas says that wilde was fond of boasting of his acquaintanceship with douglas's late brother lord drumlanrig lord kelhead who at one time was one of the queen's lords-in-waiting i never heard him mention his name until years after i first met him and some time after lord drumlanrig's unfortunate and lamentable death it was in paris after wilde's release from prison and he said to me i don't think that bosie alfred douglas ever wrote anything better or more beautiful than his sonnet to drumlanrig his dead brother it is tender it is exquisite it is a pure work of art i had not read the sonnet at the time and so wilde repeated it to me nor did the beautiful lines lose anything by his manner of saying them douglas also quotes oscar wilde's dedication of one of his works to the dear memory of robert earl of lytton as a proof of his snobbishness and states that he has it on the authority of one of lord lytton's sons who was a small boy at the time of his death, that his late father had but the slightest acquaintance with him. Now, I was in Paris during Lord Lytton's last illness, and Wilde was in Paris also, and I know that he was a frequent visitor to the embassy during that period, and that he was one of the very few friends of the ambassador who were admitted to his bedchamber. Il est chez son excellence et il est impossible de le déranger was the answer given me on one occasion by the embassy concierge when i had called there by appointment to meet wilde with whom i was to go to dinner i can also remember the day on which lytton died the news was given me by oscar wilde himself and his distress was certainly genuine for for what earthly reason should he have feigned it to me he told me that he had been with owen meredith very shortly before he died and that he had sat by his bedside holding his hand indeed i am not certain that he did not say that lytton had died holding his hand i know further from english friends of mine who were residents in paris and on the embassy list that lord lytton had a liking as well as a great admiration for oscar wilde and frequently spoke of the cleverness and charm of his conversation Lady Dorothy Neville's memoirs may also be consulted on this. In 1887 Lord Lytton presents Oscar Wilde with a copy of his book, After Paradise, cordially inscribed. Oscar Wilde had a detestation for anything like self-aggrandisement, and, never practising it himself, I have heard him rebuke people who, in his presence, said anything which seemed to have been mentioned for this purpose i believe indeed i know that he was perfectly sincere in the statements he made in court during the three trials which he underwent as to his disregard of social distinctions he told mr carson who had asked him if he had been aware of the social standing of two guests whom he had entertained to dinner that he had not known it and added if i had known it i should not have cared i don't care twopence what they were i liked them I have a passion to civilize the community." And again, when Mr. Carson asked him if any young boy he might pick up in the street would be a pleasing companion, he answered, "'I would talk to a street-arab, with pleasure.' "'You talk to a street-arab?' cried Mr. Carson, with simulated horror. "'If he would talk to me,' answered Wilde, smiling, "'yes, with pleasure.' it was noticed in paris that oscar wilde did not at all mind being seen speaking to social outcasts i have frequently watched him in amused conversation with that immortal amongst parisian thieves and beggars andre salice commonly known as bibi la purée a weird mysterious survival of the corps de miracle a beggar student of thirty years standing a stealer of clocks and umbrellas partly a poet partly a police spy a noctambulous product of montmartre and of the latin quarter who was kind to the great poet verlaine and stole for him when poor lelian lay dying in want bibi lapiorre about whose death at the Hotel dieu hospital i wrote at the time he died as gervase died of exposure and want and privation tuberculosis was the direct cause and his last days in the Hotel Dieu hospital were easy. He remained a buffoon to the last, and the very evening of the night on which he died, he was masquerading up and down the ward, bringing smiles to lips as blanched as his own. Dying, he, the beggar, enacted for these beggars on their deathbeds the many trickeries which had been their trade in life in the penumbra of the long room he mimicked for men who had reached their last infirmity the mock infirmities by which they had wrung compassion and largesse from the world which they were leaving he turned back his eyelids and parodied the blind he doubled back his hand and showed a polished stump he feigned the man who is palsy-stricken and amidst the coughing cackinations of his audience of experts he played the canting beggar who dupes the pious at the doors of churches he went out of a world which had not been kind to him triumphant and mocking to his last breath he died with the vos plaudite of the roman clown expressed in the grin of his lantern jaws the papers recorded his death as a matter of public interest Told the story of his life and spoke gently of his foibles. The Parisian boulevardier, seeing the elegant Oscar Wilde engaged at some boulevard cafe in an animated conversation with Bibi la would have no surprise nor harbour any evil suspicions. In the same way, Bibi la Puree's friend, the poet Verlaine, might often have been seen in the company of that most distinguished of french noblemen and dilettanti count robert de montesquieu Fezensac. count robert was kind for years to the outcast Velaine, whose reputation in the matter of morality was appalling who had been in prison in belgium who used to boast of having beaten his mother and who was rarely otherwise than what the french call entre du vin, or rather in his case entre deux Absinthe. in this connection i remember also how one night at boulire oscar wilde fell into conversation with a young latin quarter souteneur, who was known as le petit louis and who had attracted our attention by the grace and vigour with which he had danced the cancan having as vis-a-vis a young woman queen of the high kick and empress of the grand écart or great divide who years later developed into a ballerina of european nay of cosmopolitan celebrity no less a person indeed than the famous d'égout. i had offered petit louis who was exhausted after his quadrille performance a bock of the nasty balboulire beer and oscar wilde began to talk to him he learned from petit louis that he was heartily sick of the shameful life he was leading in paris and wanted to get back to brittany there to enlist in the navy but he had no money for the journey and it was impossible for him to go to the recruiting office de la marine in the clothes the only suit he possessed which he was wearing clothes which at a glance betrayed his method of living oscar wilde listened to his story with deep interest and then asked him several questions in the end he said Come to the Hotel Voltaire, K. Voltaire, tomorrow at half past twelve, and I will see if I can do anything for you. And you, Robert, come too. As we were driving back, I said, "Don't you remember, Oscar, that you have Maurice Rollinat, the poet, coming to lunch at one o'clock tomorrow at your rooms in the Hotel Voltaire? What will he think if he finds a Latin quarter souteneur there talking to you?" I don't care what he thinks said Oscar Wilde. Petit Louis is for me a human document, and a very interesting one at that. I'll say more. I intend to ask him to join us at lunch. Yes, I shall have a fourth couvert laid. I shall introduce my two guests to each other, as Maurice Rollinat, poet. Petit Louis? No, I cried. You had better not do that. He would never forgive you and though he did not carry out his proposal and ask the lad to lunch he sent him out to buy a decent suit at la belle jardiniere over the bridge and when the transformed petit louis returned he gave him sufficient money and above to take him to brest and to keep him until he had been taken into the navy and there in the sitting-room of Wild suite in the Hotel voltaire for the joy of his emancipation from the horrors of his life in the depths of Parisian vice, did Le Petit Louis, former souteneur and massuin, marine to be, execute in the fullness of his heart, and for the delectation of Oscar Wilde and Maurice Rollinat, poets, and of myself, a passeur or pas de cavalier of amazing grace and agility it was i who brought it to an abrupt close by suggesting that a ready-made suit from la belle jardiniere a complete at forty-nine francs ninety-five cents could hardly be expected to stand such usage petit louis shortly afterwards departed and left for brittany the same afternoon i heard some weeks later in the latin quarter that he had duly enlisted into the navy i heard and saw nothing more of him until twelve years later when a fine sturdy bronzed and bearded boatswain of the french navy called to see me at my apartment on the boulevard magenta i could not place him at all i see your embarrassment monsieur you don't know me as louis caradec you would remember me by a name which i am ashamed to repeat as it reminds me of horrors of long ago which seem to be a dreadful nightmare but if i mention the Bal the Hôtel Voltaire, and a noble stranger, you may— Oh, Petit Louis! I cried. Yes, I am ashamed to say that I was he. But, God be praised, all that is dead and buried. Dead and buried long ago, dead and buried like Malbrook. And now, as to the noble stranger, my benefactor, the man who saved me, I want to see him, to give him my thanks, to show him what I have become where is he is he well and oh tell me his name just think how thankless of me i have forgotten his very name you see i hardly heard it more than once what is his name and where can i find him do you know monsieur louis Caradec? i said i am very sorry i am just like you i too have forgotten his name That was in June 1895, just a few days after Oscar Wilde had been sent to prison for two years with hard labour, and I saw no reason for making Petit Louis privy to his downfall. But I could not help thinking, after Monsieur Louis Caradec and I had drunk together the absinthe de la l'amitié, and the boatswain had taken his departure, what a good witness he might have made for my poor friend's defence. Here was a youth an outcast, with whom Wilde had been in company at Balboulier, whom he had invited to his hotel, whom he had proposed to invite to lunch with him and two other individuals, for whom he had bought a suit of clothes, and to whom he had given a handsome present of money. Why, as bad a case as that of the boy Alphonse Conway of Worthing, to whom he gave a serge suit and a straw hat, because the boy was shabby, and because he took an interest in him sir edward Clarke could have rebutted with louis caradec quite a number of the witnesses for the crown and indeed i had had his story in my mind as illustrating the innocence of wilde's eccentric even quixotic benevolence when i tendered myself to sir edward Clarke to give evidence on my friend's behalf i was indeed sorry that the defence found no use for such evidence because i could have enlightened the jury on other habits of his in which the prosecution found or pretended to find grave reasons for suspicion and be it noted en passant how even the most innocent practices of his were made weapons against him for instance the burning of perfumes in his rooms and those of his friends of this much was made it was a habit he had no doubt contracted at oxford i remember very well that when i was at the university a number of undergraduates used to burn that scented ribbon which one pulls out of a little round red cardboard box which is made i fancy by the house of rimmel and which is supposed to counteract the unpleasant odour of stale tobacco smoke his insidious practice of allowing red shades to remain on the candles with which the tables at different london restaurants at which he dined his friends needs neither explanation nor palliation yet the jury were asked to see in these red shades the dye of blood-red turpitude sir frank lockwood and mr c gill before him with all the broad-mindedness of men of the world and men about town could not and would not pass over in silence the flagrant immorality of letting a restaurant maitre d'hôtel put red shades on the candles of one's dinner-tables i could not have excused this either but amongst other things which i wanted to tell the jury was that as long ago as twelve years previously oscar wilde had been in the habit of writing extravagant letters which those who received them took for exactly what they were effusions partly humorous partly pathetic but obviously insincere and written as literary essays in epistolary style of those first letters which he wrote me only one escaped the mouchard the second-hand bookseller and the baronne it certainly is not the sort of letter that one man writes to another after an acquaintanceship of only a few weeks but when i received it i was aware that my correspondent was not an ordinary man and i conceived that his object in writing to me in that way was to impress me with that fact besides showing me what agreeable things he could say to a friend in the most agreeable prose possible with reference to his habit of calling even his most recent friends by their christian names and of insisting on being addressed by them in a similar fashion of which habit also a great use was made against him by the prosecution i had intended to tell the jury that just three days after i had first met him at a dinner party at the house of a greek lady artist he said to me and these are his ipsissima werber. I don't want you to call me Wilde, and I certainly don't intend to call you Sherard. We are going to be friends. I think we are friends already. Now, if we are friends, we ought to call each other by our Christian names. If we are not, then I am Mr. Wilde, and you are Mr. Sherard.' now though i have lived most of my life abroad and have found foreigners even the most casual strangers inclined to address me by my christian name as don roberto or monsieur robert or in slavonic countries as robert tucor i confess i did not readily fall in with his suggestion which i admit went contrary to my british instincts and it was only after some time and even then with a recurrent effort that i was able to accede to it but i certainly saw nothing in the suggestion to arouse suspicion at the worst it was silly better the french would say and with regard to his un-english habit of embracing his friends of which i heard but never witnessed the jury were perhaps unaware that it is especially amongst the latin races a custom all over the continent I remember my indignation when calling at Naples, on a former Dresden schoolmate of mine, who had since those early days blossomed into a portly and prosperous hotel-keeper. My friend, Coram Populo on the landing stage at Sorrento, threw his arms round my neck, and embraced me on either cheek. It was un-English and repellent to me, but no harm whatever was meant and i don't believe that oscar wilde meant any harm either when he followed this effusive continental method of salutation that it was unusual and un-english was perhaps what chiefly induced him to adopt it end of chapter two